All right. Can y'all hear me? Does this work? All right. Hey, God has been at work in the world that he made from the very beginning. Uh, and in the beginning, what does it say? That he created the heavens and the earth, and he created everything in it. He created humanity. He created us in his image, and he created us to glorify him and to fill the earth with his image, to fill the earth with his glory. And even though humanity, ourselves included, rejected God, we turned our own way, we sinned, God continued to be at work. He didn't stop working in the world that he created. And he started this plan in Genesis 3 to rescue the world that he created that had rejected him. He started this plan to redeem them. We call it redemption, right? And he ultimately accomplished this through his son, Jesus Christ, as he came in, uh, to the earth. He left his divine privileges behind. He put on flesh like us, and he lived a perfect life that we couldn't. And he died the death that we should have to give us the life that we couldn't, right? This is how Jesus accomplished God's work in the world. But God didn't stop working there. That's, he's not done once Jesus uh, died on the cross and rose again from the, from the grave. No, he, God continued to work. He didn't take his hands off the world. He didn't just, let's see how this whole thing plays out. Let's see what this movement becomes. No, that's not it at all. He says that his work now is what? What we've been preaching. That he will build his church. That's God's work in the world right now until we all return to heaven with him. And that's what we've been looking at in this book of Acts, how God builds his church, how Jesus builds his church. And what we've seen so far is this, is that, that Jesus builds his church through the Holy Spirit. He does it in so many ways, and we've got more to come. But he does it first by raising up leaders. It takes leaders. He does it by uh, giving boldness to his followers to be witnesses, right? He, he does it by drawing the lost to salvation. He does it by giving followers courage to be baptized. He does it by teaching truth from God's word. And he does it through prayer that Will preached last week. Today we're going to talk about something I don't think I've ever heard talked about in a lengthy way at all. We're going to look at God's direct fingerprints on the story of redemption. Miracles. We just sang about it. The miracle of, of the disciples or the, the followers in, in the fire, right? That there'll be another in the fire. There'll be, a, there'll be someone holding back the seas. We are a people of miracles. We only exist because we believe that miracles are true and real. And these, these supernatural events are all throughout the book of Acts. They're, they're throughout the rest of Scripture. And, and they're God's direct fingerprints on the story. They're evidence that God is directly involved. Um, before we look at some of these, I, want to, I just want to be clear. I want to define some terms because we use the word miracle in a lot of different ways. I know some middle school mamas, middle school boy mamas that use, use a phrase like this. It's a miracle that he took a shower this week. Right? Any, any middle school moms in here? Yep. It's a miracle that he took a shower this week. Some of us, we say, it's a miracle that my card worked when I swiped it. Anybody? Anybody been there? Yep. But then some of us use the word, God, if you don't intervene and give us a miracle, we're going to lose our relative to cancer. And we all use this word miracle. We obviously don't mean the same thing. Um, so what do I mean today? What does the Bible mean when it says miracle or signs or wonders? 
What does it mean? Let's define it real fast. Miracle is this. Miracle is an extraordinary event of divine intervention in human affairs. It's God's fingerprints on the story of redemption. A miracle is extraordinary. It's, it's uh, go back to the definition. It's extraordinary. That means it's beyond the ordinary. That means it's not common by definition. And it's God's intervening in human affairs, kind of the normal status quo as we see it. C.S. Lewis says it this way in his book entitled Miracles. He says, a miracle is by definition an exception to the norm or rule. Nature is already known to be in general regular. She behaves according to fixed laws, many of which have been discovered. Miracles and the experience of them by observers are evidence of supernatural power and the presence of the supernatural in the natural. It is inaccurate to define a miracle as something that breaks the laws of nature. If God creates a miraculous sperm in the body of a virgin, it does not proceed to break any laws. The laws at once take it over. Nature is ready. Pregnancy follows according to all the normal laws. And nine months later, a child is born. He goes on, he says, miraculous wine will intoxicate. Miraculous conception will lead to pregnancy. Inspired books will suffer all the ordinary processes of textual corruption. Miraculous bread will be digested. The divine art of miracle is not the art of suspending the pattern to which events conform, but of feeding new events into that pattern. A miracle is emphatically not an event without cause or without results. Its cause is the activity of God, and its results follow according to natural law. C.S. Lewis says it beautifully here, and what he means is that miracles are God's direct action in our story. A miracle is God's fingerprints in our story. It's for a very specific purpose. It's, it's God pouring out himself into the story in a really focused, intense way, right? And why does he do it? According to his will. And what is God's will at this time? It's to build his church. This is the purpose of God intervening in our world. This is why God does miracles, is to build his church. Now, there's a difference, and I want to be clear here. There's a difference, because sometimes we use the phrase, man, it's a miracle I woke up today. Uh, and if we define everything as a miracle... The middle school boy's shower and the debit card working and me waking up and some cancer being, you know, gone, then, then miracle doesn't mean anything. There's a difference between God's special work in miracles and God's everyday work in every aspect of our life. God is at work in the everyday and the mundane, in the, in the sicknesses and in the diseases and that biblical concept is called providence. Let me just define what providence is. Providence is God's provision and care in every aspect of life. Provision means seeing the need that exists and acting in order to meet those needs. See, God is not a God who just created the world and just kind of spun it and said, let's see what happens. Let's just kind of let let things go. No, he is directly involved in the everyday, and he's directly involved at special times through miracles. But the everyday is called God's providence. This is how Abraham, think about Abraham's life when, when God calls him to go sacrifice Isaac on the mountain. And Isaac's coming along. He doesn't know what kind of adventure he's on. And he gets there, and what does he say? Father, where's, where's the sacrifice? And what does Abraham, how does he describe God? What does he say? 
the Lord will provide the sacrifice. He says, Jehovah Jireh is his name. The Lord, our provider. He is, he is a God of providence, that he sees the needs and he meets them. Hebrews 1.3 says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And I don't know all that this means, but I get the sense that what he's saying is, my body would fall apart if it wasn't for God's work in holding it together. My lungs would stop beating if it was not for God breathing life into me. My brain would stop working if it wasn't for God upholding the world by his power. Nature would go crazy if God was uninvolved in his creation. No, God is a God who provides. He sees the needs. He keeps our blood flowing, our lungs pumping, our brains processing. And not only that is he involved in the physical aspect of us, he's involved in the story. Romans 8.28 says that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? He is writing a story that's bigger than just we're alive, we have kids, we retire, and we die, right? He's writing a story, a grand story of redemption, of saving his people. So God's provision his providence is that he holds all things together. He creates stability, and he's writing a story. Our God is the God who is in control of all things. These are some of the things that Scripture says he is in control of. He's in control of the sun, the moon, the stars, the clouds, the dew, the frost, the hail, the lightning, the rain, the snow, the thunder, and the wind. Scripture says all of those are at his command. They don't move unless he says move. They don't go unless he says go. God's work includes famines and earthquakes and fire and drought and plagues and floods and all the forces of nature. That's our God. Not a God who's just detached and not involved in the story. No, he's in control of all of those things. He's in control of all plants and trees and flowers and crops and crop cycles. Not to mention all the animals, right? God's work includes individuals' lives, and it includes whole people groups, whole groups of people, right? He's not a God who's distant. He's not a God who doesn't care. No, he is providing. He is our provision. He is involved in every aspect of life, and it's somewhat a miracle to say that we live and we breathe and we function in relative peace, but it's not really helpful to call everything a miracle because then nothing is a miracle. Let's call that God's providence. That he is the God who sees a need and he meets it in every circumstance. And so miracles are God's extraordinary fingerprint on the story. I want us to think about, sorry, I want us to think about why. Why does God do miracles? If I asked you that question right now, think about your answer. How would you answer? Why does God do miracles? Think biblically, not just, well, I don't know, right? Think biblically. Why does God do miracles? Why would he do them? Why wouldn't he just not, not do anything? Why does he do miracles? That's what we're going to look at today. Why does he do miracles in the book of Acts? Why does he, why does he continue to work in our world? Let's, let's think first about the Old Testament. Let's think first about the Old Testament. Uh, there are a number of miracles all throughout the Old Testament. There's miracles that God does, like the parting of the Red Sea, where it's not really through anybody, right? And then there's miracles that are done through his prophets. 
Prophets are the only one in the Old Testament. What is a prophet? A prophet is someone who God speaks to and they speak to the people. God is speaking to them and they're speaking to the people. And God gave the ability to prophets to do certain miracles. Why did he do that? Why would God do that? He did it to prove that what they were saying was true, right? These people had no idea if this is really true. But if a prophet came to them and, and it did something miraculous, parted a sea or healed a sickness or multiplied something that was beyond the, the ordinary, then people would go, wow, this must be from God, right? So miracles were about proving God's word to be true. It was about proving that the, the messenger was from God and that the message was from God. That's one reason why God does miracles in the Old Testament. He also does it at these really pivotal moments in the story. He does, he does it, uh, think, about, um, think about Moses first when he goes before Pharaoh, right? What, what does Moses do when he goes before Pharaoh? He says, hey, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, who are you? Right? What, what, what standing do you have before me? So what does Moses do? Do you remember? What does he do? He throws down the rod, right? What happens to it? It becomes a snake, right? And Pharaoh's like, whoa, i got to listen to this guy a little bit. Right? And, then, and then he does some other things. He puts his hand in his coat, and it comes out with leprosy, and he puts it back, and he's healed. And then God does these ten plagues, right? Why does God do those miracles? To prove to Pharaoh that God's word is true. And it does it at these pivotal moments of redemption history. Think about finally after these ten plagues, Moses brings the people out of the wilderness and they come up against the Red Sea. And Pharaoh's chasing him, remember? He's like, oh, no, I lost all my, my workforce, right? And he goes and he chases them down and they're at the Red Sea. And what does God do? He makes a way of salvation. He parts the sea so that they can cross on dry land and move from slavery to freedom. God does miracles at these pivotal moments of salvation history. And so here's the point today. It's already on the screen. Miracles are always done to produce belief in God's word. Miracles are not God's like fog machine and lasers to entertain us. Miracles are not just this, this like, you know, the flare, the, the glitz and the glamour. Miracles are not about that. What are miracles about? Why does God interact in his story? to produce belief in his word. This is always what miracles are about. Let's think about Jesus. Jesus does more miracles than anybody else. Duh, he's the son of God, right? He does more miracles than anybody else. The first one, he is born fully God and fully man. One we can't quite wrap our minds around. He's born to a virgin, Mary. Right? We can't quite wrap our minds around. That's the nature of miracles is that we can't explain them. Right? Not only that, he heals the sick. Think about this. Jesus touches people. He speaks to people. And people's lifelong illnesses are taken from them. He miraculously heals the sick. He, he cleanses the lepers, the people that they excluded from their society. He, he helps the paralyzed to walk again. Right? We don't even have that ability in our day. With all the modern medicine that we have, we can't help paralyzed people walk. Very rarely. And Jesus would look at someone and speak or touch them, and they would be able to walk. They would be able to jump, to leap, 
and praise God, right? These are miracles that were seen by dozens and hundreds of people. These things were not just made up. He cast out demons. He calms the storm. He speaks to the wind and the waves, and it obeys him. Anybody ever looked at the clouds and said, no, don't come here? No, because we don't have that ability. But Jesus looks at the clouds and says, cease, stop, be calm, and it obeys him. Like, this is different. This is not like you and me. He gives sight to the blind. Those who can't see, he, he wipes their eyes, and they can see. These are miracles. He gives hearing to the deaf. He turns a few loaves and a few fish, and he turns it into enough food for thousands. And I know you have heard these stories so many times, and so I say these, and we just, oh, yeah, yeah, the feeding of the 5,000. Oh, yeah, the paralyzed man who started walking. And they become so normal to us in reading Scripture, we forget the magnificent of this. That's not a word. We forget the glory of this. Shane's laughing at me. We forget how amazing this is that God would have his finger directly on the story in these ways. Jesus raises other people from the dead. There are people that died and he spoke to or went to and they came back to life. Lazarus, the centurion's son, the ruler's daughter, there's three. And then the greatest miracle of them all, he himself died and was resurrected. And hundreds saw it happen, saw him die, hundreds saw him living. These are miracles. These are not things that we can explain in natural terms. But we know that they happened. We know that there's extra biblical evidence that they happened. And there's biblical evidence. There's eyewitness testimony over and over. And why did Jesus do these miracles? He did it to give validity to what he was saying he did it to prove that he was the son of God. He did it to prove that he was speaking the word of God, right? This is why he came, and this is why he did miracles. Jesus' miracles are also pivotal to the story of redemptive history. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, none of us are sitting in this room. This room doesn't exist. Right? We are a people of miracles. We only, the church only exists because of miracles, because of God's active work in the story. Jesus does miracles to produce belief, to produce belief. This is how John says it in John 20. At the end of his gospel, here's how he says it. Remember, John had walked with Jesus for three years. He had seen all of these signs and miracles. And he's writing the testimony about what he saw. And he says this. He says, now Jesus did many other signs or miracles in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. He says a chapter later, he says, we couldn't even fill up, uh, we would fill up all the books of the world if we wrote them all down. He says, but these, verse 31, these are written so that you may what? So that you may what? Believe. I wrote these down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. He says, I'm telling you what I saw and what I heard and what I experienced and what others saw and heard and experienced so that you would, what, believe. Miracles, God's imprint on the story is about belief in his word, ultimately. That's why he does miracles. 
And that's why John writes it down, so that we would believe. We have good reason to believe. I just listed off, I don't know how many miracles that we, we have eyewitness testimony of. There's a lot of people today that long for a miracle. If I could just see a miracle, then I would believe. And if you don't believe the hundreds that are already written, I don't know that one more is going to do it for you, to be honest. You have good reason to believe. God has given us eyewitness testimony after eyewitness testimony of God's work in this world. And if we don't believe those, one more miracle is not going to do it. Because that's why Jesus came. That's why the apostles do miracles in the book of Acts. Let's look at those. All the, all the miracles in the book of Acts, there's 20-something of them. And I, I put them on a sheet. It's on the end of your pews if you want to grab it. You can take it home. We're not going to, it's a lot. We're not going to cover the whole sheet. But I went through and just thought about each miracle and read it. And what, what the pattern is is this. Every time a miracle happens, a verse, two verses, three, four, ten verses later, in, as part of that story, it says that the church grew, or these people heard the gospel, or these people believed, or this event happened to bring multiplying to the church, right? Miracles always lead to belief. All of the miracles in the book of Acts, they're not about the light show and the smoke and the fog and the entertainment. The apostles aren't doing this just, just so people think awesome of them. They're doing it so that people listen to the word and believe the word. That's why miracles happen in the book of Acts. They're almost always done among non-believers. They're almost always done to create an opportunity to share the gospel with a non-believer. They're almost, uh, sometimes they lead to, lead to belief. Sometimes they don't because sometimes we share the gospel and people believe and sometimes they don't. Miracles were never about the person doing them. In fact, there's a couple times in the book of Acts that the apostles start being worshipped after doing a miracle. The people get the town together and, hey, these guys are gods, let's worship them. And they're like, wait, hold up, this is not about us. Miracles are not about a person. They're not about the person doing it. Miracles are about what? Belief in God's word. So let's look at a few of them. Let's look at a few of them. Acts chapter 2. We've been reading this a lot. Look at Acts 2.43. This is after he says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And it says, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There's miracles happening. And then what does it say at the end of this section, just right after this? Because of these miracles, it says in verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Miracles lead to belief. They lead to growth in the church. They lead to God building the church. That's why God does miracles. That's why he puts his fingerprint on the story. The next chapter, Peter and John healed the lame beggar, right? They go into the temple, and the man says, hey, I need something. And they say, we don't have any money, but we, what we have we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he stands up, the man who had been lame. And he walks and he's leaping and he's praising God and it causes this commotion so much so that it leads to what? Them getting to preach to tons of people, including the religious leaders. Miracles lead to belief. Not only the beggar, but also the people that were listening to Peter. Look at chapter 5, verse 12. 
chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. It's like we can't even summarize what, what all was being done. We, there were miracles. There was a bunch of them. There were signs and wonders. And what does it lead to? Look, look at verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Miracles are done so that people hear the message. And people hear the message and they believe and the church is built. This is why God does miracles, to lead to belief in his word, to build his church. Look at chapter 8, verse 6. Let's skip down a few on your sheet. Chapter 8, verse 6. Uh, Philip, who's not an apostle, he's, he's one of the deacons that they've uh, commissioned. In, in chapter 8, verse 6, it says, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. It says they were paying attention to what he said because of what he did, right? God does a miracle, and God does signs through Philip so that what? So they would listen to what he has to say. Miracles in the, in the book of Acts are about validating the apostles' teaching, and they're about belief in that. Uh, look at, let's skip down even further. Uh, look at chapter 19, verse 11. Chapter 19, verse 11, it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, an apostle, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. This is extraordinary. Paul's not even there. They're just taking handkerchiefs. It's like, here, touch this. You're going to be healed. God's going to do an amazing thing. But this isn't smoke and mirrors. This is not just entertainment. Look at verse 20. It says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. God's doing miracles to produce belief to build his church. This is why he does it. There's miracles done through apostles. There's miracles done by God. Look at uh, chapter 8, um, chapter 8, verse 39. It says, this is right after Philip has, has baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, and it says, and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. I don't know if you just picked up, but he just transported. He just got zapped from one place to another. He's on the desert road. All of a sudden, he's in Azotus, which are nowhere near each other. Why? Why does God do this? You see it in verse 40. It says, Philip passed through and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Miracles are about producing belief in God's word to build the church. Think about Paul and Silas in prison in, in Philippi. This is in chapter 16, verse 25. And I won't read the whole thing, but Paul and uh, they, Paul and Silas have, have cast out a demon of a, of a girl and it's led to them being in prison because they've taken away the, the, this girl's ability to tell the future and make money, right? So they get thrown in prison and they're singing and they're praising God in prison, mind-blowing. And that night God sends what? An earthquake, right? And it destroys the prison and their chains are gone, and the Philippian jailer looks around and goes, ah, I'm just going to kill myself. It's better than, than, than finding out that all these prisoners escaped. And 
Paul and Silas say, no, we're here. We're all here. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He'd been listening to them. He had heard them singing and talking about Jesus. God does a miracle not to just free them from prison because it would be cool. No, he does a miracle to lead to belief. And the Philippian jailer, his whole household, Lydia, and there becomes a church in Philippi that we get a, a, a letter in Scripture written to, Philippians, because of this miracle. Miracles are about producing belief in God's word. That's the common theme through the book of Acts. And you can go look at all these on the sheet every single time. God is not doing miracles to, to wow and awe us or to, to, to create this feeling, right? Miracles are about us believing God's word always. So what about today? What about miracles today? Because that's what we've said all throughout the series. The same way that God has worked then is the same way God is working now. I'm not going to answer all your questions. There's a lot of questions when it comes to miracles today. Uh, but what I do know from Scripture is this. Our God is in the heavens and he can do whatever he pleases. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Right? No one is above God and God can do whatever he wants. So yes, God can do and does do miracles today. Miracles do happen. But more often than not, what you and I are going to see is God's providence, not his miracles. The miracles we're going to see are people coming to faith because that's what miracles were about in the book of Acts. The greatest miracle that we're ever going to see is, is a little girl saying, I'm a sinner and I need a savior and I'm giving my life to Jesus. Is a grown, grown man who said, I've lived my life for my whole self and I've found myself empty. I know I'm a sinner who's rejected God. I know I need to turn to Christ. That's the biggest miracle you and I are going to see, right? This is God's story. This is how he's building the church. God is still using miracles to build his church. But it's not the kind where legs are healed, and he may do that. It's not necessarily the kind where demons are cast out. He may do that. He's done it in Africa. But how's he doing it today in Huntington, Texas? It's the miracle of belief. It's the miracle of, uh, of someone that's in darkness coming to light. It's the miracle of someone in dead that was dead moving to life from chains to freedom. Every salvation is a miracle. Now, I know what you're thinking. Byron, what about cancer? What about bones? What about sicknesses? What about healers? Right? It's complicated. <laughs> yes, miracles happen. Yes, God is fully capable of healing. James 5 tells us to pray for that. So if you, your family member has cancer, if you're facing an illness in your family, pray for healing. Seek medical care. And God can heal through that. God can do miracles, and he does do miracles. What we know through Scripture is this. Miracles are about validating the message of the messengers. So I'm just going to offer this warning. Be careful every time someone claims to have seen or done a miracle. We should be careful. We should know that there are times in the Bible, and we've kind of skipped over them. There are times in the Bible those who are not from God do miracles. We talked about Pharaoh earlier. Remember when Moses comes before Pharaoh and he throws the staff down? What happens after that? Pharaoh gets his Egyptian magicians, and, and they're able to do the same thing. And then he does the, the leprosy thing, and he heals himself, and then those magicians do the same thing. Now, here's my question. Were those magicians from God? 
No, Melvin, you're right. But why? Why, why? How do we know they're not from God? Because they don't speak the word of God. Or they speak against the word of God. That's how we know whether they're really from God. If someone claims to do a miracle, but then also is teaching against God's word, they're not from God. God wouldn't send somebody to validate, do a miracle and validate their message if they're going to speak against the word of God. If someone's going to claim to do a miracle or heal, but they're clearly not teaching God's word or they're teaching against it, that person is not from God. There are many examples of this in the word of faith movement today. In, in the book of Acts chapter 8, Simon the magician, he's this guy, and I don't remember where he's at in Acts chapter 8, but he's this guy doing miracles. It says he's, he's drawing a crowd and people are listening to him because he's got this magic. I don't know what it looks like. But he's not teaching God's word. He tries to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit so that he can do more magic and draw a crowd and have people listen to him. No, just because someone claims to do a miracle doesn't mean that they're from God. If they're not teaching God's word clearly and truthfully, then they're not from God. Jesus himself says this in Matthew 24. He says, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. He says, false Christ. False Christ means anointed one. He says, there will be people that claim to be anointed, but they're false. There will be people that are prophets that claim to speak for God, but they're false. And they will perform great signs and wonders. Jesus warns us, we shouldn't expect that every claim to the miraculous will be true. We have to be discerning. And how are we discerning, Melvin? Does it match the word of God? Do they teach the word of God? Just because someone claims a miracle doesn't mean that God sent them to reveal something new. God has made it clear. We read it earlier in 2 Peter 1.3. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence. Other, other translations said it's God's word that has given us all we need for life and godliness. What we need is to know God's word. What we need to know is, is to believe God's word. We don't need another miracle. We don't need another miracle to believe. God has given us enough evidence to believe. This thing is true. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul warns about this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22. He says, he says this, he says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. <laughs> He's saying there's this group of people, they want another sign. They want another miracle. They want another feeling. They want another, ah, yeah, that's awesome, right? He says, and there's this other group that they want to philosophize and they want to they think about all the deep stuff. And he says, it's a lot simpler than that. Jews seek signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. If you don't believe the miracles that have been attested to here, one more miracle is not going to produce belief in God's word. There's nothing in scripture that promises that if you just hold on, God's got your miracle. If you just hold on, just have enough faith. You just sow enough seed. You just give enough money to this, then you will have your miracle. There is, that is totally false. I can't say that clearly enough. If you hear that taught, run. That is not what Scripture teaches. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, you're probably quite right 
in thinking that you will never see a miracle done. You're probably equally right in thinking that there was a natural explanation of anything in your past life which seemed at first to be rum or odd. Here's the key phrase. God does not shake miracles into nature at random, as if from a pepper caster. They come on great occasions. They're found at the great ganglions of history, not of political or social history, but of that spiritual history. What C.S. Lewis is saying is that God does miracles to produce belief in his word, which leads to salvation, which leads to building his church. This is God's work in the world. And that's what God is up to through miracles in the Bible. And so how do we bring this down to each one of us just to close out our time together? First, if, if, you, if you're in this room and you don't believe, if you're on the fence, you're questioning, you're not real sure what you think about God, kind of seeking because you're here on Sunday morning at church, but you're not really sure, I challenge you to examine the scriptures. Examine the claims made here of God's fingerprints, God's miraculous supernatural activity. Think about them. Think about what God done, has done. And if, and if he really did raise from the dead, what does that change? It should change everything about us. If he really did feed 5,000 with nothing, if he really did cast demons out, if he really did these things, then he is from God, and he speaks the word of God, and we should believe him. Jesus proved over and over in the scriptures that he is the son of God. And if you don't know him, I challenge you to examine the scriptures. But Christians, do we want to see the power of God at work? Do we want to see our church be built? Do we want to see the church, the greater church, be built? There's all kinds of strategies and philosophies out there about how we're going to see God's power at work. Here's what scripture says about God's power, Romans 1.16. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news about salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God is not in all these other things. It's not in a feeling. The power of God is the good news of salvation, because that's how God brings about miracles today. And so Christians, us, if we really want to see God build his church, we have to share the gospel. That's the power of God. That's how we're going to see miracles. That's how we're going to see God do miraculously beyond what we can even imagine. Let me pray today. God, I, God, I pray that we would see miracles. God, we would see the dead coming back to life. We would see the broken be healed. God, we would see the blind given sight. God, and that may be physical, God, but I pray for the spiritual miracle. God, I pray for those who are dead in their sins and are choosing a life that rejects you over and over. God, I pray that they would turn to you. God, I pray that they would miraculously believe the good news, that there is no way we can earn our way back to God, but you sent your son Jesus to do that for us. God, and that news will change the world. It will change our church. It will change our town. It is the power of God at work through the gospel, God. And I pray that you would do miracle after miracle in people's spiritual lives. God, I pray for healing, physical, and I pray for miracles that we can't explain. God, but you're the only one who can do that. And so we trust our circumstances in our life to the God who provides. God, you are over all things and in all things, and we pray that you would uh, prove that to us over and over again. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.